Well, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 6. Judges, chapter 6. You're going to go ahead and hold your spot there. That's the only passage we're going to look at really this morning uh, as we continue in the series entitled Change of Plans. It's good to see a good crowd here. You know, summertime, you never know exactly what you're going to get in regards to attendance. And uh, this summer has been, you know, pretty much kind of just like all the others, a little bit scattered at times and then sometimes more full than you would expect. But, uh, you know, we're kind of getting close to back into the routine and at the same time, getting close to finishing out this series entitled Change of Plans. Well, uh, last summer, our family was on vacation, and uh, I was kind of reminded of this story uh, preparing this message, but we were on, on uh, vacation last summer. We went to a place called Vogel State Park, and we've been there numerous times. Some of you have heard the story, but uh, I used to go there as a kid, uh, and our family would go there way up in North Georgia, kind of up in the foothills, and, uh, and so we went as a family last summer, and uh, during part of that trip, Hannah, our oldest, she's 11 now, we, uh, she and I did a little little hike. And so there are a couple of trails that go out from the state park there. One is a backcountry trail that requires an overnight stay. We didn't do that one. The other one was a shorter one, about a four-mile loop or so, called the Bear Hair Gap Trail. And it's at that point that everybody goes, ooh, because it sounds really scary, right? The Bear Hair Gap Trail. And so Hannah and I set out with snacks because snacks always help things not to be as scary. So we set out on that, that little hike, and it was going to be just a few hours or so. It was kind of a moderate terrain. So we set out, and uh, we had finished probably three-fourths of this particular hike. We'd come almost to the end. I mean, this was like home stretch. And she's 11. She had a lot of energy. I didn't have as much energy. I was ready to get back, honestly, and uh, eat. And so I was, I was still hungry even after the snacks. And so we're getting right up close to the, to the very end. And uh, this gigantic tree had fallen over the trail uh, off the side of the mountain. And there was no way to get past it. I mean, you could try to crawl through it, which would have been dangerous and really was not even an option because this was a massive tree. And you couldn't go to the right, right, because uh, it was, you know, down the embankment. And so the only thing we could do was turn around and backtrack and go all the way back again. And so what initially started out as a three or four mile hike ended up being, uh, or three or four, yeah, three or four miles ended up being probably closer to six, six and a half, maybe even a little bit further. And so obviously it added a lot of time to it. And it was just that simple experience. I mean, I didn't have anything life-changing that came out of that. It's not like God manifested himself on the trail or anything like that, but it's just another simple reminder that we all go through changes of plans that come, that we don't really see what's coming. And it might not be a tree over the trail, but it may be a sickness, or it may be a job that is lost, or it may be a family change that comes, uh, where, where a relationship ends, or a relationship is significantly altered, and we didn't see it coming. It may be that you're caring maybe for older parents. You know, I kind of went down that road as well in my life. After my dad passed away, uh, you know, my mom uh, was living on her own for a while, and then ultimately she couldn't do that any longer, and, and was uh, transitioned into a, a, an Alzheimer's facility, and, and uh, kind of our family shared the load of helping to care for her. You know, there's a change of plans. Glad to do it, and privileged to do it. But still, nonetheless, a change of plans that requires an adjustment. And so for all of us here, we've been through those kinds of changes. We've been through, through something in our lives that we didn't see coming. And truth be told, we're going to continue to go through those times because it's a fact of life. And so as we've walked through this series, what we've done is not so much focus on all of the different ways that our plans change, you know, because that's just impossible to do that. But we've tried to focus on what God may be up to through our change of plans which then plays into how we respond whenever our plans change. And so here's kind of what I envision. You know, when I stand and speak on a weekly basis, 
Obviously, my desire is that you are able to take something away with you that's beneficial in your walk with God. That if you don't have a relationship with God, that you hear the message of the gospel and that you place your own faith in Christ. That is my desire. But at the same time, for those who have already made that choice and you're already believers, I hope that you're given something to take off the table to apply to your life when you leave and at the same time that you're able not only to use it for yourself, but I really hope when you leave here that you understand as a Christian, you're on the mission field. God's going to bring people across your path, and you've kind of got more tools in your toolbox to be able to speak into their lives. And so imagine for a second, before we jump into this this particular message, imagine that someone comes to you this week, and they say your name, and they say, you know what, my life has just changed over these past few days. You know, this has happened, or that's happened, or this is, you know, this is going on. And I didn't see it coming. I didn't expect this to come. And you're going to think, all right, this is a change of plans. So what can I say to them? And hopefully for you, you'll be able to kind of remember through this series, and you can share some of the things that have been the high points of this series. You may be able to say, hey, listen, if you're in a relationship with God, maybe you know that about that person, you can say God guaranteed is up to something where he's wanting to shape you and to mold you through this change that's come in your life. Or maybe you can tell them, hey, God is at work very possibly to direct you through this change. Kind of like with Melanie and her family, like Eric mentioned earlier, a change of plans where he's moving you from here now to where he wants you to be. Or maybe you can tell them, God may be orchestrating these changes in your life, not just for you, but there may be somebody else that he wants to bless. And then you can, over lunch, you're right, go into the whole story of Joseph in the Old Testament that we unpacked a few weeks ago and help them to see that God sometimes changes our plans to bless other people. Or maybe God is changing plans. If you're in a close enough relationship with him, you can speak truth into their life perhaps with with, with humility and tact and say, you know, maybe there are some things in your life that, that aren't quite right. And God is allowing this change of plans to expose some of that, to expose sin so that you can come home to him and experience life the way God wants you to. And so God changes our plans. God orchestrates a lot of that. God allows for those things for a variety of reasons. And so this morning, I just want to add to the series and just expand it a little bit further as we look at a message entitled, Change of Plans, God's Greatness. Change of Plans, God's Greatness. There's a simple takeaway that I hope you'll jot down. We're going to have a couple of them this morning, but the takeaway is this, that plans may change in your life and my life in order for God ultimately to put on display and to demonstrate His own greatness. There are times in our lives where God will either allow or he will outright orchestrate a change of plans in our lives for the purpose of demonstrating his own greatness, that he allows it or he drives it to put his greatness on display. Now, now here's what I understand you may be thinking. If if you're human and if you're like me, you may be thinking, okay, Brooks, I, I don't know quite if I'm in a place where I'm ready for God to change my plans to put his greatness on display. Because, you know, I'm okay with God demonstrating his greatness through another person's life or, you know, in a good sunset or something like that. But, but I don't want him changing my plans that I've worked for, that I've prepared for, right? I went to school to do this. Or I made this decision after a lot of thought, a lot of research. Or, you know, this is what I always expected. I expected to have this money and this account and I expected to retire at this date. All this is changing now. I don't want God messing with my plans just to put himself on display. Because after all, can't God display his greatness in some other ways without messing with my plans, that that may be your thought. And if that's your thought, here's what what, what we need to be careful of. We need to be sure that we keep in mind exactly who is Lord in the relationship. 
that he has every right to do whatever he wants with us by virtue of the fact <laughs> that he made us, that he crea- created us. Like when you're creator, you kind of like by default, you're in charge, right? So he made us, he created us. He has all authority, all right, and all reign to our lives. God has every right as Lord, as creator, as God to do whatever he wants with our lives. And so even if he chooses to change our plans to fit his unchanging purpose for us, it's okay for him to do that. It's perfectly fine for him to accomplish that and to work in that way if that's the way he desires to work. Now, we have to, again, we have to remember, he, he's not going to you know, zap us or put evil in our lives. He allows evil and sin to take place, obviously. He created us with free will. But God's not going to sit back and just blast us with evil. He is not a God who tempts us. He is not a God who, who, uh, who sins against us. So we know we can trust God. We know that what he does is going to be ultimately for our overall best and to give himself glory. We know that he's for us as Christians, that he's not against us if we have a relationship with Christ, so we can trust him. But at the end of the day, he still has every right to change our plans in order to put on display and to place under the microscope his own greatness, to magnify it and enlarge it for us and for others to be able to see. He has a right to do that. You know, we, we get accustomed to things, don't we, a little too quickly. We get so used to things sometimes that we miss the magnificence, we miss the brilliance of things that are even in our everyday lives. Most of you probably live on the island, you live in this community somehow, you come over the bridge there in Thunderbolt, and as you come over that bridge, it's just, it's just beautiful, man, the marsh and... When the sun's hitting it just right and the, the tide is just right, it's just, just brilliant, it's just breathtaking. And let, yet, how many times do we come over that bridge and we drive back to the island after work or after being, you know, running an errand or something? We come back over that bridge and we miss it. We don't even pay attention to it anymore because we become so accustomed to it. It doesn't take our breath away anymore. Or we go to the beach and we just miss it. Uh, I was at the beach just this past week. Um, Susie had something that she had to, had to take care of, had to do. And so I had the three kids and I was down, uh, down at Tybee with the kids. We were looking for something for Drew. And uh, it was kind of late, late afternoon, early evening, and, and we went down there. And, uh, and so, of course, yeah, I like to walk out on the pier when we're on that section of the beach. And, and so we went out on the pier once, and, and we went out on the beach. And, and I wanted to go out there again. So I was like, kids, you know, let's just walk out. Let's go out you know, on, the, on the pier again. And it's like, no, we don't want to do that. We're tired, you know, whatever. And uh, so it was my dad moment, my, one, of my, one of my finest dad moments. So I said, all right, let's come here. So I didn't really huddle him up, but I should have. It would have gone better. So I was like, come on, let's huddle up. Now, do you know, kids? Do you know that people drive here all the way from Nebraska to see what we are turning away from right this very moment? Do you understand this? People drive here from all over the world. I don't know how they get here from Europe driving, but they drive here from all over the world to see what we take for granted. Have you ever had a moment like that, right? (laughs) That was my line, by the way. So don't, if you steal that with your kids and you tell them that little is about driving, that, that started with me. But we miss it, man. We just miss, you know, we miss things. Here's the thing. It often happens the same with God's greatness. We become so accustomed to seeing things that God does that we, we quit giving him the credit. And we quit pausing to take it in. And we quit magnifying and glorifying him in our own hearts and even in the lives of others for who he is and what he's done. And so there are times that God will get the credit for his greatness in our lives. And oftentimes it will be through our change of plans that he uses as a platform 
to put himself on display. Here's the thing. If you ever study God, okay, try to knock that out today sometime. Just study God. Get, get, move that one off the table. Now, if you ever sit down and study God, right, and you, you, you develop a, a desire to be a disciple, a follower of Christ, and as you begin to dig into Scripture, and you begin to read, and you begin to study, what you'll often find as you read through the Bible is that there are displays of the acts of God, right, things that God does, and then there are descriptions of the attributes of God, kind of the qualities of God, qualities of his nature, of who he is. Now, here's the neat thing. If you, if you look in Scripture, let's just use the book of John, for example. You'll see a variety of acts of God that are laid out. Now, in that context, it's God the Son, Jesus. You'll see in the book of John, chapter 9, for example, where Jesus, where God carries out the act of healing a blind man. I mean, it's an amazing, powerful act that God carries out. The chapter before, in Acts chapter 8, God carries out this, uh, this act through, through the person of Jesus. God uh, carries out this act of, of uh, forgiving a woman who'd been caught in adultery. I mean, she had been brought before Christ and accused and, 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 and you know, just sort of tossed out there to try to trick Jesus as to how he would handle her. But the act of Jesus at that point, God's act was to offer forgiveness and to extend forgiveness to her. This is one of the acts of God. Earlier in the book of John, John chapter 2, Jesus, God, he goes into the temple and he clears the temple. He goes in, there are money changers all set up. And they're doing their own business and they're pursuing their agenda. They've completely twisted and contorted what it means to worship God in his house. They've used his house for their own means, for their own gain. And Jesus goes in and literally... He cleans house. He kicks them out. He runs them out. And, and it's an amazing act of God at that point where Jesus clears the temple. And then in the book of John, at the very end, all the Gospels actually, at the end of the Gospels, all four of them, you see this act of God where Jesus comes and he dies on the cross and he gives himself as a sacrifice for every single one of us. Acts of God. You read them all through Scripture. But then what we find is, is that if we dig a little deeper and we begin to uncover the attributes of God, what we see is that it's the attributes of God that fuel, that feed, that drive his acts. Okay, and this is all playing into this message for today. This is so important for us to recognize and to connect these dots, that his attributes fuel and they feed and they direct his acts. For example, going back to John chapter 9, whenever Jesus heals the blind man, why is it that he can do that? He does that because he carries this attribute called omnipotence, right? That he is all-powerful. He can do anything he desires by virtue of being God. And so the act of healing is ultimately accomplished because of the attribute of power. In John chapter 8, when Jesus offers forgiveness to the woman caught in adultery, he, he offers forgiveness to her. He extends that act of forgiveness because he carries the attribute of grace, the attribute of mercy. He is a God of all grace. He is a God of all mercy. And it's that attribute that drives his action of forgiveness. In John 2, when he clears the temple, the reason he does that is not because he's just angry. Wow, why is Jesus so mad? Why is he so angry? Oh, he, he, didn't, he didn't get angry in sin. He was clearing out the temple because he carries an attribute called truth, an attribute of justice. He is perfect justice, perfect truth. And it was that attribute that drove his, his action of clearing the temple. And on the cross, when he carried out the act of dying as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind, it was that act that was fueled by his attribute of unconditional love. And it's his attributes that drive his acts. In fact, we can say it this way. That God does what he does because he is who he is. There are things that I cannot do 
because of who I am. But for God, he does what he does because of exactly who he is as God. Now, for the context of this particular message, here's where this comes into play. Our circumstances then are no barrier to God. God's going to do whatever God wants to do because of who he is, not because our circumstances are right. God's not going to do things in our lives. He's not bound by the circumstances being just right or the timing being just right or me being or us being in the presence of just the right people. God is not bound by any of those things. God is not bound by circumstances because he is all powerful. God is not bound by how great the enemy may be because he is the victor. It's who he is. And God is not bound, listen, by our change of plans. And when our plans change, and in our minds and in our hearts, we become deflated and we get confused and we're tempted to give up and we're wanting to throw in the towel and we're tempted to think things like, you know what, my life will never be the same after this change of plans. We'll never have what we used to have because these plans have changed. And we begin to operate as though it's our circumstances that feed everything. No, it's not. It's God. It's who he is. And whenever he is allowed to be God in the mix and when we trust him and when we invite him into our change of plans and we allow him to do what only God can do, what we find is that he often will deliver, he will often rescue in his own way, and he will prove his greatness, not because the circumstances were right, but because of who he is, because of his own nature. And that puts us in a place that when our plans change, we are never without hope. We are never at a place where we're, where we're lost and undone as a follower of Jesus. We're never at a place where we can rightly throw in the towel. That it's because of who God is that he is able to do whatever he wants. And when he acts on behalf of his children, it is always for our best. And it's always for his glory. And many times, it's going to be a change of plans that he uses to demonstrate his own greatness that we often miss and that we often take for granted. So let me show you an example of this in the pages of Scripture. Judges chapter 6 and Judges chapter 7. A few weeks ago, I can't even remember how long ago it's been. Uh, It may have been a few weeks, who knows, it may have been six months, I can't remember. But I preached a message that highlighted to some degree the life of Gideon. This morning, we're going to go back to Gideon's story. And, uh, and we're going to look at it within the context of how God uses our change of plans to demonstrate his own greatness. The story of Gideon is interesting there in the pages of the book of Judges early on in that particular chapter. Gideon lived in the 12th century B.C. Uh, he, he lived and operated in the land of Israel, obviously. He would serve in the position of judge, uh, listed as one of the judges in the book of Judges. Gideon would be well known for becoming a warrior in life, and yet this is kind of the beginning stages of it when God crossed his path, so to speak, long before Gideon was a warrior. The setting here in the 12th century B.C. in the land of Israel was that the Israelites were going through a time of great difficulty and challenge. They were being oppressed by a group of people called the Midianites, another group of people called the Amalekites. Those two groups were uh, nomadic tribes that would often you know, kind of sweep in from the desert regions. They would come in, they would pillage and plunder, they would, uh, they would take, they would just wreak havoc, and then they would um, kind of swiftly move right back out into the desert regions again. They were very good at what they did. And here in this particular context, uh, 12th century B.C., 
we find that they are just wreaking havoc on the land of Israel. And so uh, time, the times are not good. And so God would ultimately provide a, a, a person, Gideon, to, uh, to come up and to lead the nation of Israel through this. But let's just get a little bit of a feel kind of for what's taking place. Read with me here in the book of Judges in chapter 6. We're just going to jump in the very first verse and read through the first four verses. It says, The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. In other words, they're going through a time of discipline by God. You see that throughout the book of Judges. You see God disciplining his people for their sin to bring them back to where they belong. So the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For it was when Israel had sown, in other words, when they had planted their crops, that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east, and they would go against them. So they would camp against them, they would destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and they would leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, no ox, no donkey. In other words, what's going on here is that Israel is seemingly at war with a couple of enemy nations, enemy tribes, uh, tribal people, and, and, and they're just, they're, they're not doing well. They're getting beaten, they're getting everything stolen and taken from them, and life is not good. And so ultimately God, as I said, is going to raise up Gideon to kind of bridge the gap. He's going to step up and he's going to be the leader that God is going to use to help deliver the nation of Israel. So Israel cries out to God. Uh, Gideon is not real, you know, he's not real confident at, at the start. He's not uh, very trusting of God. God, you know, he's asking God to kind of prove to him, hey, are you sure I'm the right guy you want to use? And eventually he's convinced. And, uh, and so they kind of start forming the, the army that's going to help to set them free. So, so let's move over to chapter 7 and, and see what happens here. Chapter 7 in the book of Judges. Uh, let's jump in verse 2. Chapter 7, verse 2. It says, So the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. In other words, uh, 32,000 warriors in the land of Israel at this time. God says, you know, this is too much. Um, they're, they're too many for me to, to, to be able to, to bring victory. And here's why. For Israel would become boastful saying, my own power has delivered me. Now therefore come, God says to Gideon, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. All right, so Gideon goes and he says, hey, if any of you, uh, you know, if you're not really in this, you're kind of afraid, you're, you're, your knees are knocking, your teeth are chattering, and you don't want to be a part of this military expedition here, then you're free to go. It says, so 22,000 people return. 22,000 of the 32,000 cut and ran, all right? They returned to their homes, but 10,000 remained, all right? So Gideon has just seen his military force diminish from 32,000 people down to 10,000 people, and God wasn't done yet. And so if you continue kind of in that passage, jump over to verse, verse 4. Let's continue on. God's going to whittle it down even further. So the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. <laughs> to which point I'm sure Gideon said, oh, are you serious? All right. He says, bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Therefore, it shall be that he of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, he shall go with you. But every one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So it's like God saying, okay, we got this straight. I'm going to choose the army here, Gideon. You're not going to choose it. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, 
You shall separate everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps. Right? If you've got a dog, you know they don't bring their, their paw to their mouth. You know, they, they, that's how they drink. So he says, you're going to separate uh, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, as well as everyone who kneels to drink, bringing it up to their mouth. Now, the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men, but all the rest of the people kneeled to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the 300 men who lapped and will give the Midianites into your hands. So let all the other people go. And maybe he had to say, yes, Gideon, let them all go, each man to his home. So here's what's happened. Gideon's army has gone from 32,000 to 300 with two questions. One, who's scared? Two, who's thirsty? And it was kind of the way all that played out, whittled his army down from 32,000 people down to 300 people. And it's there that God says, now we got something to work with. So let's continue in that particular passage. Let's kind of pick up with the next verse, verse, uh, verse 8, I believe it is. It says, so the 300 men took the people's provisions and their trumpets into their hands. Because when you go to battle, a trumpet is very, very important. And so Gideon sent all the other men of Israel. Actually, I'll pause there. We're not going to read this part of the passage, but it actually was a very important part of this particular battle. So Gideon sent all the other men of Israel, each to his tent. But he retained the 300 men, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Now the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. But if you are afraid to go down, go with Purah, your servant, down to the camp. And you will hear what they say, and afterward your hands will be strengthened, that you may go down against the camp. I love this part. <laughs> so he says, so if you're afraid, all right, I've told you all of this stuff, and I've done all of this, but if you're still afraid, then you can take Purah, your servant. So verse 11, or, or this verse, verse 11, so he went with Purah, his servant, down to the outpost of the army that was in the camp. So it's kind of comical to me, this little section. It's kind of like God says, okay, I've laid all this out. You know who I am, Gideon. I've proven this to you, that this is what I'm up to. This is what I'm going to do. I've given you promises, but if you're still afraid, all right, then you can go get Purah, your servant. And it's like Gideon says, I'll be right back. Yeah. Woo-woo, parrot, come on, you're going with me. So here's what this says to me a little bit. It says that if you go through a change of plans, because this is all about a change of plans, Gideon did not necessarily want to go into battle with 300 people. He would have much preferred his 32,000. He would have even taken the 10,000. Going into battle against these two warring groups of people with 300 men was not his primary choice. This was a change of plans that God orchestrated in Gideon's life. And yet it reminds us that even there, even Gideon, he's listed in Hebrews 11, for goodness sakes, in the New Testament, as a hero of the faith, as an example of faith. And yet here is Gideon in this simple passage being shown as having fear. And when you go through your change of plans, there are going to be times when you are afraid. There are going to be times when your world is spinning. But just keep in mind that God just may possibly be using that change of plans as a platform to put on display to you and everybody who sees you his own greatness. And the way this story ends up playing out, it's a lengthy passage. We won't read it today. You can read it uh, sometime later. But what you find is, is that Gideon goes into battle with 300 men and in very unconventional ways sees God bring victory, and sees God highlight his own greatness. And when you finish reading the passage, you'll want to ask yourself, who was in control? It wasn't Gideon. It was God. Who gets the credit? Not Gideon. It's God. Who's the one in that historical event that took place? Who's the one that displayed their greatness? It wasn't Gideon, it was God. 
And what was the platform he used to do it? It was Gideon's change of plans. You know, there will be times in your life and in my life when the plans we thought would always be established, in some big ways perhaps and in some small ways, but what we had planned for and what we had hoped for is going to be changed. And it's going to be at that very point that our allegiance to God will be tested. And we're going to have to grapple with the question of who exactly is in control of this relationship. Is it me or is it him? And we're going to have to be, begin to determine and solidify who is Lord. Is it we ourselves or is it him? And yet it's going to be in the context of that change of plans that God seemingly will say, if you will just trust me and if you will just let me do my work, I will use this change in your life to put myself on display to such a degree that you will thank me for it one day. So if you're going through a change of plans today, ask yourself, how differently would my attitude, how differently would my outlook be if I trusted right here today in the midst of my change of plans that God just may possibly be wanting to put his greatness on display? How differently would you see that change of plans? You've been tempted maybe to be angry with God. You've been tempted to throw in the towel. You've been tempted to complain, to get bitter. Say, I'm not going back to church ever. I'm never going to trust God. I'm never going to pray. You know, maybe some of you in these recent weeks, you are back after a while of kind of going through that season of your life. How differently would your change of plans look today if you could just be assured of the fact that God is great and can use that change to magnify, to glorify, and to put on display his greatness? And would you be willing right where you sit this morning to say, God, in the midst of this change of plans, I take it the best I can, whether it's a financial change, relational change, whether it's a change in my health, regardless, I take this change of plan. And because I trust you, God, I hand it over to you. And today, as an act of my will, I pray that you would take this change of plans and use it as your platform to show yourself as great and to just show off for all to see. Would you be willing to do that? You can imagine what it must have been like for the 11 disciples, 11 minus Judas Iscariot, who took himself out of the picture Jesus had been the one they had followed for three and a half years. They had met him face to face. They had walked with him. They had spent time with him. They had heard him teach. They had seen him uh, uh, perform acts that only God could accomplish. They, they knew him to be God. They believed he was the Messiah, that he would be the one that would come and set them free. They believed Jesus to be Savior. They believed Jesus to be the Redeemer. And now on a Friday, all they knew was that he had been crucified on a cross for everyone to see and was lying dead in a tomb. I'm sure those 11 disciples had had plans, plans to continue further in ministry alongside of Jesus, plans to continue to have, them, have him at their side whenever the going got just a little tough. I'm sure they had plans in regards to their relationship with Christ. And yet, here those plans had seemingly been dashed. The book of Luke gives us a little bit of a glimpse of a couple of followers of Jesus as they walk a, a road to Emmaus. And all you can hear is the devastation saying, you know, we thought, we thought, we thought he was the one that would be sent as the Messiah. Yet everything would change, wouldn't it? A couple of women would come from the tomb. Hey, we, he's not there. 
All we saw was an angel that said he's risen. We don't know what's going on. Peter and John would rush to the tomb on that early Sunday morning, and they would find the the, uh, burial clothes there laid neatly in the tomb, but no Jesus to be found. Word would begin to spread, and in just a matter of time, Jesus would begin to appear to those disciples bodily as a resurrected Savior, as the resurrected King and the resurrected God that he had always claimed to be. And in just a short matter of time, what was the hopelessness of Friday, where it seemed as though all had been lost because their plans had changed, would suddenly be transformed and, and altered for all of eternity as their hopes would, be, uh, would, would not be dashed but would be replaced and would be magnified because the resurrection that took place on Sunday. And in a very real sense, you and I who have given our lives to Jesus have done so as a residual, as a byproduct of their faithfulness to the message of the gospel. Because it would be those 11 disciples who would move from Friday to Sunday, who would have their plans changed, yet it would fit into the context of the overarching power and the, pro- and, and the purpose of God. It would be because of their testimony that in a very real way we have a relationship with God today because the message of the gospel made it to us. Let me just ask you this as I close. If God can do that, against the platform of the cross, and against the platform of death, I wonder what God can do with the platform of your change of plans if you only trust him, and if you only follow him, and if you only surrender those changes to him, that he might be seen as the great God that he's always claimed to be. Let's pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, with no one looking around, I would imagine in a group this size that there are some that this message really, really hits home. And you've never really thought about the simple fact that God may have allowed or even orchestrated your change of plans recently to put his greatness on display. And the question really to be settled this morning for you is, am I okay with that? Do I see God as enough of an authority as the God and the Savior of my life with total right and reign? Am I comfortable with him even changing my plans to demonstrate his own greatness? And that question will be answered when you decide whether in the quietness of this time, if you're willing to say, and so God, because I trust you, I give to you my change of plans. And I ask you to just show off. Knowing that he'll be good. Knowing that he's enough. Knowing that he didn't bring you this far to leave you on a curb. But knowing he's going to bless you and take care of you. And then for others here this morning, the question is not how will you handle your change of plans. But the question is whether you're at a place where you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus for the first time. Are you ready and willing to admit to God that you've sinned as all of us have and that you've blown it before him and that that sin is deserving of death spiritually and and even deserving of hell for all of eternity? But are you willing not just to own that sin today, but are you willing to transfer it and to say, but Jesus, I believe that you are God and that you died to pay for that sin and you rose again. And today, as an act of my will, I ask you to forgive me Just as you did that woman we heard of in John chapter 8, just as you've done for countless others, I ask you today to take what you did on the cross and to apply it to my life. And I invite you to be my Savior, my Lord, and my God from this day forward. Would you be willing to pray that right where you sit with the most amount of authenticity that you can muster? And would you choose this day to follow Jesus? God, whatever decisions we need to make, 
Lord, we thank you that, that you give us the strength and that you give us the direction and you even give us the courage to follow where you lead. Lord, I pray for those who need a Savior today, that right now where they sit, they wouldn't be distracted by anything else, but this would just simply be a time for them to determine whether they're choosing or not to follow Jesus from this day forward. And Lord, for those that are ready for that, I ask that right where they sit this morning, that in the best way that they can, that they'll simply pray and invite Christ to forgive and to take over their lives. Lord, others all over this place have made that choice already, and yet we still live in a fallen world. We know that. We still live in a world that, that, where we suffer the consequences of someone else's wrong choices. And yet, God, in a way that we can't fully understand or adequately explain, you are over and in control of all of that, and you're able to work anything out for our good when we love you, when we know you in a relationship, and when we trust and follow you. And so, God, whatever decisions we need to make today, that helps us to apply this to our lives, help us to do it. And God, may we not leave this place with a regret that, you know what, I should have responded this way or that way. But Lord, help us to do today what in all of eternity we'll be glad we did. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.